praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, no children's church, so stay, sit tight and uh, let's give a listen to Rick. She preaches from Psalm 25. Psalm 25. All right. Thank you. Please take your Bibles and open them up to Psalm 25. This is the word of the Lord. To you, Yahweh, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your paths, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Yahweh, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Yahweh. Good and upright is Yahweh, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of Yahweh are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Yahweh, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears Yahweh? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of Yahweh is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward Yahweh, for he will pluck my feet from out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble. And forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. In your bulletin right under, if you were reading along in the bulletin, you see this drawing here that I'm going to talk about in just a few minutes. But I think this is a really good picture of, that, of, uh, of David as he writes this psalm. Uh, and we'll talk more about that uh, as we go on. Have you ever um, 
been in a situation where you needed to talk to a dear friend, needed, you needed desperately to go to see them, uh, have lunch with them, um, and you, so you call them and say, hey, um, you know, and it's, it's really good when, when, you, when you do that to say, hey, um, I, I, um, I need your help. Tell them what you want to meet about. You know, one of the worst things you can do is say, "Hey, let's just meet for lunch." No, so they can be praying for you and thinking about you on the way. Hey, I need your help. Um, I need some counsel. I need some guidance. Um, and and if you're like me, you probably I hope you've done this. Um, I, I I need to ask you to forgive me for something. Um, have you ever had those conversations? Those are um, biblical conversations, and that's what you see here in this psalm. Um, and um, this psalm is is um, is pretty it's disjointed. It's an acrostic. That means that each verse starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There's about almost every letter's in there, um, but it's it's. For Americans, that's why American preachers, we try to make everything linear and give you one or two or three points. Um, and there are three things that that, um, that are very, very important that should mark our conversations with the Lord, who is our great friend. Um, so I'm going to divide this up into three, three points um, so that um, we'll make some sense in our American minds. But it's, it's, um, it's very it's disjointed, but that's, again, this is a, that's, this is a good picture of life. Life is disjointed, and it's just swirling around um, with all kinds of anxieties and fears and the unknown. So we're talking about um, David's conversation with his God, with Yahweh, his friend. And um, this is a model of what our conversations with our great friend and God should be like. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak through your word. And thank you that it is your word is you. It's alive and active. And that you speak clearly through your spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would help me today. That you would continue to speak um, these great words of truth to my heart. And that you would enable me in real time right now to, that you would strengthen and comfort and encourage your people uh, through the things that we talk about from this psalm. Um, we commit this time to you. Thank you for, um, thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for renewing our hearts and reminding us of all your covenant promises that you love us, that you accept us, that you continue to invite us close to your heart and that you will promise, and you have promised to be with us forever and ever. Um, be with us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how are, you, how are you doing today? I hope you're doing good. I'm doing good. Just to let you know, I get to play music with all these great musicians, and then I get to preach the gospel, and then I get to do the Lord's Supper. I mean, really, it doesn't get any better than that for me. I mean, this is like a trifecta. Um, so... Let's uh, talk about the gospel and the psalm. So first of all, what, what marks this conversation that David has with his dear friend Yahweh, the, the Lord God? Well, first of all, he asked Yahweh for help. He asked him for help. You know, pastors um, deal with conflict. This psalm is um, full of conflict. And we see our share of conflict probably as much as anybody except for policemen. I've realized they see more conflict than we do. So we need to stop whining about, and we don't see tons of conflict. But um, but sometimes um, we get into it and we have to navigate through it and help, you know, um, referee through conflict and so forth. And some of the best counsel I ever got about 
handling conflict, even if the person you're talking to and meeting for lunch is in the conflict with you, uh, is, is this. I think it's very helpful. One of my friends told me when you have that conversation, let them be the hero. And that's not just to you know butter them up and you know blow smoke up their skirt and all that stuff. It's um, it's it's really it's really a good idea to do that because God made us to help one another. He did, and even fallen people um, in our fallen condition generally we're disposed to helping one another out. I mean, I've been, I've traveled to Kenya and doing all this airport stuff and going to Columbia and Miami, the Latin American capital of the world where nobody speaks English. And, uh, you know, this is in America, but geez, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. And um, I, I messed up my baggage. I thought I lost my baggage ticket. And I'm trying to talk to these people. And I'm this old guy. And I kind of hump over a little bit, too, and that helps. And, um, and they've they're just really e- been really eager to help me. And it's just like, I told Catherine, I said, that's one of the benefits of getting old people. God, most of them are really nice to me when I need their help. So, but um, people are generally disposed to helping you out because why is that? Because we're made in God's image, right? Um, Eve is called a helper, uh, Adam's helper, and that same word that's used of Eve is used of God as a helper, right? And the and you see in the Scripture, and you've seen in your life that God helps all the time. That's what he likes to do. That's his heart. He loves well. And you see it, especially when uh, God helps um, the Israelites win win battles over their enemies, like the Philistines. And in one case, um, after he'd given and granted uh, the Israelites victory over the Philistines, um, the prophet Samuel sets up a stone and a, a rock. An Ebenezer, which means stone of help. Right? And so they could remember, the Lord has helped us. Right? We've all got those Ebenezers. We need to look back at them and say, hey, wow, the Lord really, really helped us out. And so people will usually help you out, but God will certainly help you if you ask him. And we know that God had helped David throughout his life. And and that's why David's request in verse 2 is a very courageous, bold request. And that that request is sandwiched in by the beginning of um, verse 2 and the end of verse 3. These are um, statements of hope. Look at verse 2. Oh my God, in you I trust. And then again in verse 3. Indeed. None who wait for you shall be put to shame. And so you, you feel that confidence. You feel that courage. These are, these are statements of hope. David is confident that the Lord will help him. You know, at Faith Presbyterian Church, as is the custom for the church for 2,000 years, and, um, you know, when people... Uh, it's not as... Not as um, Awkward as it used to, as it was twenty years ago. But um, you know, people like creeds. Why do y'all say these creeds? Why do you say those creeds? I mean, come on. We need the Bible. No creed but Christ. Well, that's a creed. You know, we know that. But um, we say the creeds, and creeds are what you believe. It's important to know what you believe, and don't say these creeds if you don't believe them. 
Right? Don't say it. Just just bow out of that point of service. But I may ask you, what is it about the Heidelberg Catechism that you don't believe? I mean, really, is there anything in there that you have a problem with? Uh, and you know, a lot of people have a problem with the Apostles' Creed. They um, that that line, that one little line, and we've got a footnote in our bulletin. You know, he descended into hell. You know, people, why? What are you talking about? What does that mean? Well, that's another way of saying that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the scripture. And basically what it means is that Jesus took the wrath and the justice for sin that I deserve and that you deserve. That's what it means. That we don't believe um, some strange story about Jesus going to hell and you know duking it out with Satan and stuff like that. Sin, Jesus defeats sin and death on the cross and through the resurrection. And so, do you believe that? Yes. Um, but creeds are important. Um, but what if we said verse 3, um, you know, we try to swap around the creed. What if we said verse 3 is our confession of faith? Christian, what do you believe? Indeed, none who wait, on, that wait for you will be put to shame. What do you think? Would you say that? Can you say that? Do you believe that? David believed that. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, what would our lives look like if we believe the gospel deeply, if we really believe that we will never be put to shame? If we knew and experienced the love of God's forgiveness deeply, If you knew you would never be put to shame, you know, you know the first thing that you would, it would probably how it would show up in your life. You'd be really quick to forgive other people when they when they messed up, and you'd have a greater courage and a greater confidence to live for Jesus Christ. And, and David shows us the source of that confidence, that, that confidence of his creed there, verse 3. In verse 20, O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. There it is again. For I take refuge in you. And so God is the one who grants us security, no matter what you're facing. Uh, if you trust in him, you can say, I will never be put to shame. It doesn't mean you're never going to have troubles. It doesn't mean you're never going to mess up. But when you do, you ask for, for forgiveness and you move on um, with your life, right? So, so David expresses his anxiety here in, uh, in this conversation with God. Um, and, um, you know, usually when you do that, a friend can pick up on your anxiety and they gently probe to get to the root issue of your heart. Uh, there's anxiety here in this prayer, but there's also confidence there's also relief and that's what happens when you go talk to a friend who loves you and can encourage you in the gospel but ultimately God is the one who will guard our hearts no matter what the situation no matter what the circumstances we will not be put to shame and so most of our serious conversations with the Lord usually involve asking for his help. But secondly, our conversations with the Lord also revolve around enjoying God. Simply being with him. 
following his paths, walking with the Lord, walking in the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, walking with Jesus Christ, enjoying the Lord, living out your union with Jesus Christ. And you, you know, as you have probably done in conversations with dear friends, you ask, well, how are we doing? How are we doing? Are, are we good? You ever ask somebody that? That's a good question to ask. Especially after you've, you've been, in, been in some conflict and that's something that you know, we need to be honest about. Hey, I, 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 I struggle sometimes and I mess this up. But uh, how are we doing? Are, are, we, are we close? Are we, are we good? That's the best way to put it. My dad loved the, the spiritual... Just a closer walk with thee. I, I taught him to play the saxophone when he was about my age. I look back uh, when he was uh, 65, and um, he was a pretty good saxophone player. He loved to play that song, and I made him an accompaniment tape and all that stuff. But um, we should pray for a closer walk with Christ. That should be part of our prayers. Are we good? Are we are we close? Uh, and look at verse four. Uh, to show that this is the case. Make, make me to know your ways, O Lord, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths. Make me to know your ways. To know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. You know, usually we think of, of God's ways uh, and his paths. Um, we get into this um, tunnel vision about those words. Um, we, we, and those topics, we, we tend to think about God's commandments when we're talking about God's ways and his past. And that concept is in the Bible. It's, it's all over the place. Psalm 119, for example, says, I will run in the way of your commandments um, because you have set my heart free. Um, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. I will keep them to the end. You know, God's commandments are vital in your life. We need instruction to live the life that's truly life, to, to love God well and to love others well. Um, but, you know, I want to point this out. I was thinking about this. Sometimes we look at obedience to God's commandments, God's way of life, uh, as an abstract commodity or a, um, something you receive in a package. Um, it's, just, it's just an abstract thing. And, you know, we're, we tend to be vending machine um, Christians, you know, put this in, pull the lever and... Of course, they don't work like that anymore. You press the button, but you get you put something in and get something out, right? And it's like we're going to obey, and God's going to bless us. And we know that's not true, but we kind of we tend to. Um, God is pleased when we we obey Him. Obedience is important, but we we tend to think of obedience in the abstract. Um, but you know, righteousness is not an abstract thing. Righteousness is Jesus Himself. The fruit of righteousness comes from Jesus Christ and his power in you and in me. He's the vine, we're the branches. And so I just encourage you and myself as well, don't think of obedience as just something abstract. This is what we do. This is living with Jesus, walking in his ways. It's, it's like playing in the band. Um, you know, there's that day coming when they're going to say, Alicia's probably going to come to me and say, Well, Pastor Rick, 
uh, probably not a good idea for you to play that horn this morning, you know, because uh, I maybe won't be hearing so well I'm playing out of tune or my rhythm is not good or whatever, right? Um, but, you know, that's what, ha- what happens with... Do you realize all the, the synchronization that goes on? That God created all that organization and brains and people are listening and playing in tune and, you know, staying in time, you know. That's what obedience is. It's just walking and playing music with Jesus and living with Him and enjoying His presence. And um, so that, that's what God's truth is, His, His ways, our, our fellowship with Him. And, and so what we need more than anything else is for Jesus to walk with us and guide us in the life that is truly life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And don't, so don't drive a wedge between God's commandments and His presence. That's, that's what the point I'm trying to make here. Um, we fellowship with the divine nature and we play in the band and we play in tune and life goes better when it's in tune. You don't want to listen to these people up here playing out of tune, right? You go, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, no. You want it to be beautiful like it is. But, um, but here uh, I agree with J.A. Alexander. Um, Ralph Davis points, uh, this, these are Princeton teacher in the early 1800s um, that Ralph Davis quotes here um, in verse 4. He says, ways and paths um, are not necessarily talking about the precepts that we should follow, okay? He's talking about how God is operating in your life. And again, it's God's laws and his precepts and his instructions are vital to our lives. But, but right here, I think from the context, David is talking about God's providence. And that's why verse 5 should be translated, lead me in your faithfulness. Show me how to live. Because you said that you would take care of me. You said that you would instruct me. Walk with me. That's why in verse 10 backs that up. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant. And then if you connect that thought to verse 14, it says the friendship of the Lord is, or friendship of Yahweh is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. You know, Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother. He's not ashamed to call you his friends. And so this is what David is saying. Many times God is going to show up in your life and he's going to show you what he's up to. Yes, God speaks through his word. We know that. But we, we tend to, I've said this over and over again in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago. We tend to, just, you know, God speaks to us through his word and the spirit. We know that, okay? We don't want to add to the word of God. We're so careful as Presbyterians, but God speaks to us through life all the time. And you need to check out those mysterious speakings of God with other Christians. Do you think God's leading me? You need to talk about things like that. But God will show up and he will show you what he's up to in your life, especially in the hard things. Now, this psalm is full of hard things. David is wrestling throughout this psalm. But God will clearly show you how he uses the hard things you face to prove his covenant faithfulness in your life. I've seen it over and over and over again. And the weirdest thing I've heard as a pastor, I can tell you this. This was not easy. But if I had to go through it again to learn what I learned, I'd do it. And I usually look at that person and I say, there's no way I would go through that again. But that is that deep witness of God's love and faithfulness to his child. To say, hey, I have taught you and led you through this event. 
And so that, that just means you can trust the promptings of God in your life. There is a peace that passes understanding. And Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. There's that mysterious union we have with Jesus Christ and his people. But that peace only comes through struggle and dependence on God. And and there's that tension again. Um, The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. And so look for what God is doing in your life. Pay attention to the clues. Piece them together. Talk to your friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. And say, how think the Lord's doing this? What do you think? Um, pray about it. Get people to pray. And just get that communion, that communication going. Um, rather than just you and the Lord, expand that to the, your brothers and sisters in Christ. God, uh, the friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. What does that mean? What does it mean to be in covenant with God? Let me remind you. It means that God is reforming you in the image of Christ. He's conforming you to the image of Christ as his child. And he's making you like Jesus himself. And for that to happen, God has to be faithful to his covenant. He has to be faithful to his promises. What has God promised you? Promised you're never going to flood the world again. That's one of my favorite. What has God promised you? He's promised you that he loves you before the foundation of the world. And he invites you. He's invited you into his life. He continues to invite you. He's going to invite you to this table. He's inviting you through the preaching of the word and and the prayers and the creeds, everything. God is speaking to us. And he wants you to listen to him. And he wants you to speak to him. Right? And God gives us promises. He lives with us. And he guides us. Because he's with us, he guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so God is in covenant with us. And he will never, listen to this, he will never be ashamed of the way he has treated and cared for you. Never. Because he's in covenant. And God doesn't go back on his promises. And, and you know, his parents and his husbands, his friends, all of us, because we're sinners, we have regrets on how we've dropped the ball in relationships with our wives, with our kids, with our friends. But, but God never messes up as a parent. He never messes up. And that, that should thrill you as his child because you can trust that he is at work in every nook and cranny of your life. He's at work in your disappointments. Really? He's at work when the weed eater won't start. You know? Really? Yeah. He's at work there. He's at work um, in your disappointments. He's at work in your frustrations. He's at work in the dangers you faced. And that's why we can say in verse 5, we wait for him all day long and so we ought to ask God for help in the tensions of life but we ought to also ask him to lead us in his ways which are expressions of his covenant faithfulness just everything he does is an expression of his covenant faithfulness same old thing all the time everything he does what are you doing God I'm expressing my covenant faithfulness in your life may not feel like it may not feel good but that's what he's doing Um, And God always has your best interest at heart. And you can trust him because his ways are upright and faithful. There's no wickedness in him. And that brings us to the third aspect of David's conversation with God. You like like the way this is moving on, especially since these children are in here today, don't you? Yeah. 
right? Trying to be covenantly, be image bearer of God, being covenantly faithful to you, and realize that you are in a different situation. But the third part of the conversation revolves around assurance, assurance of ongoing pardon. You see that throughout the psalm. Verse 7. You've got to skip around a little bit to see it. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Verse 11. For your name's sake, let Yahweh pardon my guilt. For it is great. Ooh. I'll leave that part out. I ask God to forgive me frequently. Ask Catherine to forgive me frequently. Um, but I don't say, honey, will you forgive me for my sin is great. I don't say it like that. Probably should. Um, verse 18, consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. You know, we've got elders and deacons in this church. That's who we are as Presbyterians. And we've got new officers coming on uh, in the next few um, weeks and so forth. And um, I just want to encourage you, the most important thing as an officer, and I've seen this, um, and I've felt it and I've watched it lived out with these men that I've served with for 20 years. But the most important thing that, that you need to be aware of in your life is your ongoing struggle with sin. That sounds like, thanks Rick, right? be honest about it. If you're going to be a leader in the church, that's, that's the most important thing. But at the same time, you have to realize that you are more and more, uh, and you have to become more and more aware of God's love in your life. You have to know who you are in Jesus Christ, that you've been loved before the foundation of the world, that you've been invited into the kingdom of God, and that God has promised you eternal life in Christ. And He's with you. And He loves you. He likes being with you. He's not ashamed to call you His, his friend. But you have to honor that tension. All Christians do, but especially, especially leaders in the church. Because when you honor that tension... It leads to humility, which is the chief characteristic of the new man in Christ. Have this attitude that was in Christ Jesus, which is humility. That's who your God is. God is, we talk about that all the time. And it startles people when you say that, that your God is a humble God. But He is. I mean, come on. Who would send their son to die for me? It takes some infinite humility, right? And when you start understanding the gospel deeply, it's because you've understood, you still know, you, I'm, forgive the sins of my youth, forgive my sins today. As that works out in your life, uh, you, you will start to focus more on your own sins than the sins of others. And that's, that's a chief characteristic of a leader in the church, that you, you focus more on your sins than the sins of other people. That doesn't mean you, don't, you ignore the sins of other people, but you're not going to ever be prepared to, to help someone who's caught in a struggle unless you're aware of them, your own struggles. And David knew about his struggle with sin. You look at the Psalms. Psalm 51 is the, is the 
prime example. Uh, he, he was aware of his past sins, but he was aware of his present struggle with sin. He's not groveling in his sin. He's not giving up and saying, I'm just going to go sin more and more because God will give me more grace. Like Romans 6, somebody asked Paul that. He's not saying that, but he is aware of the tension in his soul. And that's what made David who he was. A man after God's own heart. In other words, David didn't just depend on God with his battle with Goliath or the Philistines. David learned to repent of his sins and to depend on God's grace every day of his life. And that... Again, as the psalm makes clear, it's very clear, he was aware of the tension in his soul. But that did not drive him to despair. And I think the psalm is a good picture of our lives, the life of a Christian. I think it's a great picture of Romans 7. We're drawn toward Adam and sin all the time. And at the same time, we're drawn toward Jesus and his righteousness all the time. And one day that tension is going to be gone. But right now it is healthy. And it's spiritually good for you to live in an awareness of that ongoing struggle with sin. Because that awareness produces dependence on Christ. And to live for Him and to long for His ways. And that that acknowledging of that tension makes us more and more faithful to God and to other people. It makes us more like Christ. When I was in Columbia, I met a dear, dear man, dear friend. His name is Alirio. I, I, I struggle saying his Ali Alirio Flores. He's a pastor in Colombia, and Pastor um, Flores is an artist. And his son, um, Simone, was my translator. And Simone is a brilliant young man. world reach is fortunate to have him. He speaks, obviously, Spanish. He speaks English. He studied linguistics in college down there. But he also speaks German. And he's, he's a translator. He, he does, um, does that on the side to, to make a living. But he, he's a brilliant young man, man. But I see where he gets it. His daddy is this, this artist. And when I was, and he's a pastor, but while I was down there, we're just, we're talking and I've got this, this cool app on my phone where I can, I can speak into it and it translates it and says out in Spanish. And if he doesn't understand me from my redneck South Georgia stuff, I can type it in there and then it translates it. So I was able to connect with a lot of people just sitting down. You know, they're not in a hurry down there. And, uh, and so you can sit there, down there and talk to them um, as much as you want. But anyway, I was, as, as pastors, we were talking about our need of Christ and his gospel every day of our existence. Because of this ongoing conflict all of us have, this, this within us. And, and I told um, Pastor Flores that uh, I've been trying to come up with a picture to describe the Christian struggle. And you've seen all those strange diagrams over the year. You've know, you got the throne, and either you're on the throne or Jesus is on the throne. Or you know, it's like feed the white dog and neglect the black dog. All these pictures about who we are and our existence. Uh, I don't think any of those are very good. I think I think this is a better this is the best picture I could come up with to describe who you are and who I am right now. 
And I encourage you to put this in your Bible. And if you don't agree with it, come talk to me about it. I'll, I'll be glad to talk about Romans 7 and sanctification and the gospel of grace and your need of Jesus every day. Um, but I think this is a great, great picture. And he did that in one day and sent it to me um, in the, with a text message. And I was so grateful for him. And... Um, I just described what I had in mind, and boom, that's what he did. But again, right now, who are you? Who is David? He, you are in two humanities simultaneously. You are of Adam, but you are in Jesus Christ. Your identity is in Christ, and one day, all Adamness will be gone. But right now, it is still, you are still a sinning, struggling sinner. One day there will be no more struggle, no more repenting. But right now, it's healthy to confess your sin with joy. And that sounds so crazy. But that's the characteristic of tense tension in this life. Because you can confess your sins because... Why, why does David confess his sins with joy? Why, why is he so confident God will forgive him? And why should you expect God to forgive you for your sins? Well, look at verse 10. It says, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimony. So, so why should you expect God to lead you in paths of righteousness of His steadfast love and faithfulness? That's the kessid word we talk about all the time. God's covenant faithfulness. Why should you expect God to lead you in the paths of His covenant as His child? Why? Why can you have joy in repentance? As strange as that sounds... It's because there's one greater than David who actually kept God's covenant. You know the answer to that question. And all his testimonies. Jesus Christ is the, is the true and better David. He's the true Israelite who loved God with all his heart, soul, and mind, and his neighbor as himself in your place. And he died the death you and I should have died. And our sins are forgiven because Christ has died in our place. But He's given us His Spirit now to remind us who we are. And we are learning in our, to live out our new identity in Christ. To love God more. To love others more. We're learning to love God's kingdom. And then the covenant. His covenant matters deeply to us. Does it not? Do we not cherish the treasure that God loves us? Do we not treasure the cherish, church, treasure the treasure the cherished treasure that, that God invites us into his life that he gives us great and precious promises that he lives within us do we not treasure those things even though they we have those treasures in jars of clay but we are learning to love God more in his covenant and we are learning to love others more because of Christ and so summing it up maybe maybe you're in a situation right now many of you are uh, maybe you need to have that serious conversation with God and maybe it needs to start at this table. Um, as I think about my journey with Christ, um, I can't even remember how many it was before we got married. It's probably 43 years ago. My first serious conversation with Jesus Christ came at the Lord's table. I'll never forget it. Because I heard the gospel clearly. And you may want to begin that conversation with the Lord today as we take this meal together. So go and ask God for His help. Go and ask God for His guidance. And certainly ask Him for His cleansing mercy in Jesus Christ. But thank Him. Thank Him because He will redeem Israel from all of His troubles. That means you and me. And we will live in the joy of the Lord. And we will not be put to shame.
come and have this conversation with your king. He invites you close to his heart. Let us pray.